from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. What I see in the UAE, it's actually, they're they're approaching it in an interesting way, which actually normally first-year regulators uh, aren't doing because they see this clash with traditional finance. I see the UAE regulators having high standards, but yet engaging in a positive manner with the industry. Uh, A good example is, you know, going back to the ADGM, which is the Abu Dhabi Global Markets, the regulator there is the Financial Services Regulatory Authority, they they are quite advanced in their work in the in the crypto space, and they have guidance there that says actually that if you are in this space, you should be using a blockchain analytics to identify your sort of money laundering risks as we talk about it, to identify the source of funds. Look where did that where did those assets come from? Where's it going to? Does it create risks in terms of money laundering, AML, uh, anti-money laundering uh, controls? So they are well advanced. They're working in the space of DeFi. They have a discussion going ongoing and really trying to look at understanding it and how does blockchain analytics work in that space. You then got Dubai FSA, which is um, also, you know, developing their regulatory framework, which will hopefully come out later on this year. They've already have it for security tokens, so securities which are on a crypto asset. Um, but now they're bringing forward more traditional uh, regulatory frameworks. But again, it's quite an advanced framework with high standards of investor protection as well. And VARA, of course, which is the new virtual assets regulatory authority that you mentioned, they they're looking to develop their framework uh, over the next coming months. And I think, you know, their aim, as at least talking to them, it's of a high standard. Um, Of course, you know, we haven't seen the the detail of the legislation, but when you speak to this aspirational goal and the regulatory framework that they're thinking of achieving, one has to take your hats off to them, that they're actually trying to do that. In comparison, you've also got the EU, who's produced something very big and broad, like Mika, which is the markets in crypto assets, which is a very broad piece of regulation, which also has to bed in. And it'll be interesting to see how the different regulators take different approaches. And and that's one of the difficulties for firms would be the fragmentation of regulatory uh, requirements. Established in 2013, Elliptic is an early entrant and leader in the blockchain analysis space. They provide the analysis necessary for compliance decisions by providing the largest and most accurate data set ever built. That's from their website. In particular, this involves 100 billion plus data points covering 98% of the crypto market. So what is blockchain analytics? How is the UAE forging a notable role in this space? Mark Arulaya is Senior Policy Advisor at Elliptic. He joined the UAE Tech Podcast to provide a helpful 101, on the blockchain analysis industry and the challenges and opportunities regulators are facing behind the scenes. Today we're talking with Mark Arulaya at Elliptic, a London-based blockchain analysis provider established in 2013. 
So Mark, a lot of our audience are new to this field. Can you quickly explain to us what Elliptic does and why the work Elliptic is doing is important? So Elliptic is a blockchain analytics uh, provider. It's basically a data company. What it does, it looks at the blockchain, it collects data, and we can get into that in more detail in a minute. But the value of it is that it's then, if you like, a service provider for people in the crypto asset space who are doing transactions in crypto or doing custody. And it helps them identify whether or not they're interacting within a licit or an illicit actor to, you know, to, to meet their money laundering obligations in their jurisdiction. Oh, thanks for that introduction. And um, yeah, we're really happy to have you on the podcast because we've spoken with a lot of people in crypto doing really exciting stuff. We've spoken to people in the metaverse. We've spoken to kind of blockchain evangelists who've been, you know, talking about the future of finance and replacing the old guard. And then we've also had very early conversations with, you know, DIFC, ADGM, um, hopefully uh, the Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority at one point who we haven't interviewed yet. So we've had kind of a wide spectrum of people around this space, but we haven't done anything on blockchain analytics. I think a lot of our audience are probably really curious about it, but don't have that much background. And I think it's also a really interesting entry point into some of the regulatory discussions, which again, I think a lot of the tech community are aware of, but again, they might not be front and center in, in some of those conversations. So really uh, excited to learn more about kind of what Elliptic is doing and why. Before we get into, the, into that though, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this field? So um, I have been 25 years a regulator in the UK in the Financial Conduct Authority, primarily a markets policy regulator. Uh, but I've done a variety of things. And the last few elements that I dealt with in the FCA was introduced the crypto asset changes to the money laundering regulations, um, and also working with the Bank of England and uh, HM Treasury on what they call the FMI, the Financial Markets Infrastructure Crypto Sandbox. So how does crypto work in the securities world on trading on a trading venue and on a, security, a central securities depository? How does it work? So I got involved with the sort of the regulatory framework and the understanding. I was interested in the, um, the technology. Um, I left the FCA June last year, and actually I didn't want to go into traditional finance, I just wanted a new challenge, and I saw that regulatory frameworks were being developed in the crypto space, and I was very fortunate that Elliptic, you know, chose me to be responsible for regulatory affairs, uh, policy development in the EMEA region. Yeah, it's an interesting kind of profile. Um, moving from what one of our previous guests called TradFi, which I still find quite funny, um, <laughs> to, to into this space. Uh, and, and in a way, it's an exciting, an exciting jump. But um, I just getting down to the bare bones, because there is a bit of jargon involved in today's session. And I think this might end up being kind of a, a 101 into the sector of blockchain analytics more generally. But you, you mentioned uh, anti-money laundering, I think AML, uh, I know KYC, know your customer. Why is that important for companies such as CoinGate, which provide big Bitcoin payment processing or other companies? Um, I, I know we, we have another piece of jargon called BUSPs, which is virtual asset service providers. So why is blockchain analytics important to uh, you know, different kinds of stakeholder? 
So at one level, uh, in most jurisdictions, um, there will be a legal obligation to ensure that your business, your services, and, your, and how you sell your products have appropriate systems and controls to avoid money laundering risks. And that, that's the simplest starting point. But in fact, the money laundering risk is actually there to stop flows of money to criminals, terrorists. And that's a global uh, attempt to ensure that the, the markets and transactions are kept as clean as possible. And therefore, businesses are required at, you know, at quite some expense to ensure they have systems in place to know their risk and to mitigate those risks. Using blockchain analytics is one aspect of it in terms of uh, crypto assets, but you would have that in traditional finance and you have it also in crypto assets. You have to know your customers. That's in terms of understanding who they are, understanding what type of activities they are so you can understand uh, whether or not there are risks to you or your jurisdiction. And the same again applies to crypto assets. You know your customer. It goes further because, and we can go into again in more detail, you have transaction on the crypto asset chain, some data, you have these transactions, they're there. And therefore, how do you use that data to identify or to clarify more detail, whether your customer is acting in a proper manner or a mischievous manner or a criminal manner? Yeah, I was reading about this and I saw a piece of copy that was basically, if you're making a compliance decisions, uh, the idea is to have access to the best data sets. And I know Liptic is talking about 100 billion data points covering 98% of the crypto market. Uh, our audience are relatively technically minded. And I think we're all probably curious. I mean, when you log in to some of these blockchain analysis dashboards, kind of what are you seeing? What, what, what are the things that you're able to do? So, so I think maybe just stepping back slightly and the distinction between a money transfer and a crypto asset transfer. So mm -hmm. in, in a money transfer, so I'm paying you money through my bank or my payments firm, typically the bank will know who I am and your bank will know who you are and therefore the transfer happens. But in the crypto asset world, actually the technology allows me to transfer assets to you in a disintermediate way. I don't need a bank. I could just send it to your wallet. In that way, the, the, the transaction is slightly pseudo-anonymous because the transaction itself is on the ledger and my address, my wallet address is on the ledger. What we do is to look to interrogate that and investigate further to try and identify those transactions to entities. And therefore, when we do that and we can cluster it into a single entity, so for example, if we have Coinbase or we have Kraken, we would look at their wallets, we'd look at the, um, the types of activities that are going on from there, the heuristics, using heuristics to say, we think these transactions, these wallets belong to that entity. So when a firm um, comes along to look at a transaction to assess the risk of it, they would type in the transaction details or type in a wallet address. Our data set would then look to give you some kind of categorization of risk. If that transaction or that wallet has been linked to nefarious activity, that will be a warning and an alert that will be shown on your system. If it's not, it'll be clean to go. And I think what's important in the elliptic system, we very much look to allow the client to set their own risk appetite. So we provide a default setting, but what's important and what regulators are looking for now is a better understanding of firms to understand their own risk and to establish the right type of risk categorization 
for different types of uh, typologies of, of categories of risk. Wow, that's super interesting. Um, thanks for that introduction. So if you don't mind, I mean, we'll go into some of the, we'll deep dive into some of this, and then we might ask about, you know, some of the, the general philosophy behind it all and some of the debates that, that have been taking place across the, the blockchain community over the past few years. But um, just to begin with, it's it's really interesting sector, um, partly because how is this even possible across different chains? You know, so you've got all these different blockchains, you've got all these different types of coins. Is the technology out there that can kind of um, scan all of these, you know, presumably millions of transactions taking place every day and kind of form a coherent picture of, of where everything is going and what's happening? Where are we at right now in that regard? What is the state of the art? Is that possible? So that, that is actually, in, in a sense, you've hit the, the, the right question because that's where the risk is moving. It's moving, if you like, from the typical just uh, a bad actor on a Bitcoin transaction to actually trying to do, if you like, cross-chain where I've gone from one asset class to another asset class using bridges um, and I might go to a decentralized exchange and then where there's lower KYC and then change it there to another asset and then go through many, many different wallets before I go to an exchange to off-ramp, as we would call it, to get my fiat, my money, which is what, at the end of the day, most criminals want to do. They, they, they will either be in a ransomware attack or, or anything like that, and then they'll need to get their cash out of it. The the elliptic is is produced has produced a product called Holistic, which is coming out next month, which is absolutely fascinating for me, as a nerdy regulator. I, I see it as a big generational change. It's a bit like black and white TV going to color TV. You know, nobody goes backwards to black and white unless you can't afford it, mm. but everything is now in color TV. And I think in the same way, this holistic screening allows you not just to screen a linear single chain. But it sort of looks at it in a three-dimensional. It looks where things cross one asset class to another. And it's a real step forward in time trying to address risk in this multi-asset world of crypto assets. So I, I think that is where I think all service providers in the analytics world will have to get to. And I know that regulators are very keen in this space and particularly all of the uae regulators are very keen in this space as well to look at how the risk has changed from just looking at the risk on one chain like bitcoin versus looking at cross chain where assets are switched from one to another and then if you like the the criminal is trying to obfuscate the transaction as much as possible and that's how they're doing it now through cross chain and decentralized exchanges wow that's really interesting um I guess on one level, it makes sense because the whole idea of the blockchain was, you know, okay, trustless and anonymous, but also completely transparent. And so in a way, because blockchain, the blockchain ledger is, is public across different chains, um, it makes logical sense. It just must be a very, you know, difficult thing to do to, to create a kind of visual picture of all of that. And I know there's references to machine learning and, and AI being used to, to kind of spot um, interesting transactions or worrying transactions. But I think another point here is, of course, uh, we were speaking to someone a couple of episodes ago who was saying, look, I got into this uh, around 2012 and it was a completely different industry. Today, the volume of cryptocurrency transactions 
is exploding. And, and, you know, even with the crypto winter, it's been growing. I know you've done a lot uh, of work um, or had a lot of um, insight into what's happening in the UAE. I know during JITEX, there's going to be some interesting roundtables on blockchain analytics, regulation, um, regulation across borders. Uh, what do you think about the scene in the UAE? What's happening at ADGM, at, at DIFC, at the Virtual Asset uh, Regulatory Authority? Um, what do you think, you know, the, the challenges and opportunities ahead for the UAE in this space? So uh, it's quite an interesting um, question. When you step back and look at the regulators, so, I mean, as regulation comes in, there's more fragmentation and therefore firms have to, one, review so many regulatory developments, but also have different standards. So what standard do you go to? I think there's also this trade-off between economic growth versus uh, high standards of investor protection. That's always a tension and it's difficult. I think what I see in the UAE, it's actually, they're, they're approaching it in a, an interesting way, which actually normally first-year regulators uh, aren't doing because they see this clash with traditional finance. I see the UAE regulators having high standards, but yet engaging in a positive manner with the industry. Uh, a good example is, you know, going back to the ADGM, which is the Abu Dhabi Global Markets, the regulator there is the Financial Services Regulatory Authority. They, they are quite advanced in their work in the, in the crypto space. And they have guidance there that says, actually, that if you are in this space, you should be using a blockchain analytics to identify your sort of money laundering risks as we talk about it to identify the source of funds look where did that where did those assets come from where's it going to does it create risks in terms of money laundering aml uh, anti-money laundering uh, controls so they are well advanced they're working in the space of DeFi. they have a discussion going ongoing and really trying to look at understanding it and how does blockchain analytics work in that space you then got dubai fsa which is um, also, you know, developing their regulatory framework, which will hopefully come out later on this year. They've already have it for security tokens, so securities which are on a crypto asset. Um, but now they're bringing forward more traditional uh, regulatory frameworks. But again, it's quite an advanced framework with high standards of investor protection as well. And VARA, of course, which is the new virtual assets regulatory authority that you mentioned, they they're looking to develop their framework uh, over the next coming months and I think you know their aim as at least talking to them it's of a high standard um of course you know we haven't seen the the detail of the legislation but when you speak to this aspirational goal and the regulatory framework that they're thinking of achieving one has to take your hats off to them that they're actually trying to do that in comparison you've also got the EU who's produced something very big and broad like Mika which is the markets in crypto assets which is a very broad piece of regulation which also has to bed in and it'll be interesting to see how the different regulators take different approaches and and that's one of the difficulties for firms would be the fragmentation of regulatory uh, requirements. Yeah that does seem very difficult and I know there's a discussion coming up on how to do that across borders. Um, and that was a really good introduction to a lot of what's happening uh, in the UAE. Um, I left the UAE for a couple of years and then went back and was amazed at what was happening in the fintech space and how quickly the kind of new ecosystem had emerged at DFSA and 
and ADGM in particular, and I was amazed at kind of um, the sophistication of some of the the uh, the APIs and the companies that were being launched there. And hopefully, a similar kind of step can take place uh, in crypto because there's a lot of blockchain-based talent in the UAE. Uh, it's a good global hub. Um, it's an emerging economy, so you know there's a lot of potential there. Um, and of course, it's, it's interesting as well for someone from your background, because you also know the scene in London very well. So just out of interest, you know, London has a very, very important financial market. Of course, the city of London, it, you know, is incredibly influential here in the UK. Um, what do you think? Do you think in a way that the power of the city in, in a developed economy like the UK makes it harder to push through innovation and new changes in crypto and blockchain? Or do you think even developed economies like the UK and the US um, will move into this space very quickly? But it is that basically what I'm asking is the kind of competition between the established financial industry and the emerging blockchain-based forms of value that, that we see developing? So it's an interesting question again. I, 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 it's a several-fold answer, I think. I, I think... At one level, you look at it the firm uh, aspect lens. The other, you look at it from a regulator's aspect. Mm. I think where I see um, the UK industry is very much on the the tipping point of actually wanting to get involved in this. I think the difficulty for it, and it and for it to be of value, has to be institutional investment. The difficulty for them is is moving from a traditional finance board, which looks at risks and volatility to moving to a crypto asset space where sometimes, you know, it's still an unknown for that. Yeah. I think though they are very much on the edge because obviously a link with crypto is the, the risk of disintermediation of those particular FIs, financial institutions, but also there's huge opportunity in the technology that actually creates efficiencies and new ways of doing things. So it's this sort of double-edged sword kind of we need to get involved what does it mean how do we deal with it so i think the growth there is good i think where if you like the, the slower pace will be as i mentioned some of the regulators is when you, you look at this tension between as i said the economic growth and therefore the uk government is very much pro fintech how do you balance that with a strong regulatory approach to invest protection both are right but that balance has to be there where I think the UAE has got it right is that discussion between the, the finance ministries and the regulator that goes well. I think clearly that's a careful balance between those two. I think in the UK, the regulators are growing and getting to know um, crypto assets, the risks, um, the investor protections that will be required. But what they don't have right now is a pathway to a broader crypto regulation such as Mika that I mentioned, or such as the UAE is developing. So in some ways, the UK is slightly backward in, in this approach to, if you like, crypto assets regulation. Crypto assets regulation is a good thing in a way to investors because it provides them with a level of investor protection. And if you like, it tries to ensure that there's more transparency, more uh, understanding or explanation to the customer about risk. So there's a lot of things that regulation addresses. I think, you know, once the UK comes forward with that, and I'm hoping that they will do shortly, who knows, um, I think that'll be a good positive step 
for the UK. It starts helping us catch up with the EU, for example, and UAE is already ahead of us on that. Thanks. That was a really interesting introduction. And yeah, it will be interesting. It's almost as if there's case studies coming from all over the world. And, you know, obviously the UK is a massive market, but there's case studies in this space that aren't just coming out of the, the massive, you know, established financial centers. And that is, is at least something that's noteworthy. Um, I guess in regard to a lot of this, training is important. Education is important. Um, that's something that gets spoken of a lot uh, in, in the tech industry, but also I've started noticing in the kind of regulation industry too. I know there's a university recognized training and certification course, Adalyptic. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, you know, how difficult is it to find talent in this space? How do people get into this industry and train in it? Again, another good question. I mean, there's a distinction again between regulatory knowledge and experience and also industry. I think the industry is growing well and the knowledge is growing, but it's, it's difficult even for blockchain analytics firms like us to keep up with the uh, development of technology, development of new chains um, and new methods of, if you like, obfuscating and avoiding uh, regulation or avoiding, uh, trying to avoid um, the, if you like, identification for uh, money laundering purposes is a challenge. It's a constant um, element. Just talking from a regulator's perspective, I think that is the area I think that regulators will have a challenge because as, as fast as you train them, the market has moved on. I think it's absolutely key that they do get trained. I think what is also absolutely key is an ongoing discussion with the industry so they maintain their knowledge and understanding of emerging products, emerging risks, which is really what good regulators would do. And I think in terms of firms, I think they're also having to shift because they're moving from a purely anti-money laundering aspect. When we talked about VAST, the virtual asset service providers like exchanges like Binance, Kraken, Coinbase, they're gonna to have to move to more prudential and conduct regulation. So the obligations on the compliance officer inside those trading venues are gonna be different. So the skill sets are gonna be different. So not only is it the technical knowledge, but it's also the regulatory understanding and framework. For example, there's gonna be a huge raft of financial promotion rules. So they will have to get used to those new set of regulations, not purely looking at anti-money laundering obligations. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting space. and. Um... I think because it's one not everyone is even aware of, you know, it, it doesn't have the kind of um, bling of the metaverse, you know, which <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of young people are aware of, but it is a booming space. Um, and it seems like in future it could touch uh, not just on institutions and, and, and uh, you know, financial organizations, but on individuals too, particularly ones who are working at scale. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about APIs, again, just because a lot of this is quite new and, and you know, even discussing the technologies around it is new. Do you, how do APIs work in that, in this space? Is, is, do, do customers or institutions kind of plug into an elliptic API um, to get data or do they log into a centralized space and they see everything there? Um, just a question about, you know, how blockchain analysis, how the feeds work and how, uh, what the possible integrations are with, you know, larger institutions or banks uh, and that kind of thing. 
So I'm, I'm probably not the best in terms of providing you with a detailed answer on this, but as I understand it, you know, um, Elliptic's API interface is one of the, the, the leading uh, analytic service providers in that because it's very easy to use. But I think how it works is that the, the firm, the bank, would set out its needs from the data set and it would then be able to interact directly with Elliptic's data in that aspect. Um, it's much faster, it's much quicker, it allows much quicker, if you like, calibration of risk for the uh, the bank, but it also allows them a much better fine tuning of what they're really interested in, rather than it simply being at the user interface of what we can provide them, they actually see the data in a format and how they want to see it uh, for their purposes. So I think that's clearly you know, a strong driver within a firm, and it'll all be different within every different firm. But I think that's one of the areas where Elliptic is strong at. And apologies, that I can't give you an in-depth detail because I focus oh. on the regulation side. But I know. Yeah, you... no, no, that's exactly what I wanted to, to know. Basically, that's what I thought might happen. You know, an individual in a bank or a compliance institution can kind of log in, access the API and get the information they need. And of course, that does play a role in making in investment or borrowing or all sorts of other transactions presumably a lot easier so it would contribute to to the safety and the growth of uh, crypto trading as a whole um, I guess that would be part of it as well you know if, if crypto trading is um, uh, easier to surveil uh, and institutions know what they're investing in and they know more about their consumer presumably the market as a whole would grow is that part of the thinking here as well I, th I, th I think it is. It's meeting clients at their point of need, I, I think. But in terms of scalability, it's also how we have the data set mm. and the speed of the, the, if you like, the turnaround of that response is also part of actually how the data set is structured, as I understand it, from an elliptic point of view. So I think it's a bit of both. It's helping different types of clients meet their different needs using as I said at the start, we're a data company, the data that we hold and the data sets that we have, but also building it and stacking it in a way that is most effective and efficient for large scale screening. So I think those are two of the key elements I'd say for Elliptic. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we have had people on, on the show in the past who's saying, you know, big data is great, but how you segment it and filter it and use it is really where the art and the magic is. Just having a, a large data set you know, isn't that useful? It's it's what you can do with it and how you can use it. Yeah, um, and it's that, that, speed as well with scalability. So how quickly can you get that response? Is it quick or do you have to wait 30 seconds before? I'm, I'm not saying anyone waits 30 seconds, but it's just a matter of speed. Yeah, yeah, I guess speed is important. Uh, and that's sometimes been an issue on blockchain to scale. Um, Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, it's been kind of fascinating. Before you go, I want to play devil's advocate a bit and, and let you know, what some of the, 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 the technology guys uh, on the series have, have been talking about. And we've had some, some fascinating discussions on, on blockchains and the future of finance. Um, our first episode was with a guy called John McAfee, who basically said, you know, we were looking at a, a new financial system, uh, a kind of historic split between the old world and the new um, that would usher in a, a new period of, of kind of, what's the word, I'd, I'd say financial sovereignty uh, for the everyman. We also had a discussion with a fascinating guy called Anthem Hayek, whose father actually played a role in legalizing gold uh, in the United States, kind of a historic case study. And he said, 
ultimately what he sees as happening is a new financial system that is not established on Bretton Woods, that is multipolar. So it, it kind of exists everywhere and is not based on central banks or even necessarily nation states. Now, a lot of this is out there and is not something regulators probably have to worry about. But I think technically speaking, one of the arguments some of these individuals on the podcast have been making is that, you know, you can try and regulate this from the perspective of the central bank or even from the perspective of the nation state, you know, and you can set up these laws, but ultimately you are trying to put, you know, you're trying to punch something, you know, round into a square hole. It's not going to fit. And you will need systems that are global and global and, and distributed and decentralized like the blockchain itself. Now it's fairly out there. And of course, it's not something that in the immediate term is, is probably relevant to you or elliptic, but do you have any thoughts on, on that debate more generally, where this is all going, where we're going to be in 10, 15, 20 years time? Uh, that's a good question, talking to an ex-regulator. I, I, I start coming into crypto with the cup, cups half full rather, uh, rather than um, uh, half empty. But I think I, I don't necessarily see this as an alternative payment system. Um, I, I mean, it can be used for payments, yes. But I think regulators and central banks will be nervous about it because of shadow banking. So there'll always be that tension between there. Where I see the real value, me personally, in terms of crypto is the utility function of di distributed ledger technology. So that could be in digital identity, for example, where, for example, we have NFTs for now, but, you know, why can't our passports, why can't, you know, our driving licenses be on a digital identity? It could control what information we allow social media to have because we control our data. The other aspect, I think, which is going to be transforming is decentralized finance, where we put traditional finance in the decentralized world. I talked about disintermediation, where I think, you know, we'll find an environment where, and we're still years away from this, but an environment where some of the traditional financial transactions will be done through these decentralized exchanges um, in a DeFi protocol. But clearly, regulators want to have oversight. So I do think in the coming years, there will be, and there isn't at the moment, a clear international body under the G20. It could be IOSCO, uh, which is the Securities International uh, Regulatory Body. Um, it could be partly linked with FATF as well, the Financial Action uh, uh, Task Force dealing with uh, money laundering risks. But I think when you get to things like DeFi and when you get to decentralized exchanges, where actually, as you quite rightly say, there's no single entity it's just dispersed into the ether. Regulators need to know how do they avoid risk to either investors or their own financial institutions, particularly the systemic financial institutions. So regulators are scratching their heads looking, how do we control this thing quite rightly? The danger is, is that there'll be archaic kind of bans and restrictions rather than, as I said, for the regulators to be talking to the industry and for there to be an international body to look and see, how do we do this? We need to do it on a cooperative basis on a global basis and i think again going back to the adgm in the space of DeFi, i think they are phenomenally ahead of a number of other regulators in how they're engaging with the industry but also how they're looking to see how this could be worked at at an international level they know you can't deal with it just within the jurisdiction 
The UAE can't deal with it on its own. It has to be done at a global level. So I think that's the biggest challenge for the G20 in the coming years. And I think in terms of the technology, as I say, what I want for my children's children is to say, it's not that they're trading Bitcoin or Ether, but they're using this technology in a way that they don't even realize. We talk about the metaverse and the NFT, but in the future, it could be very, very different. They could have their academic certifications on a distributed ledger technology using the blockchain technology that can be sent across the world as an equivalent of evidence of their qualifications. I mean, a lot of that's already happening in developing worlds in, in Africa. And I think I'd love to see that develop, you know, grow in the sort of the, in, in, in the West. Thanks. Yeah, that's a, that's a thoughtful response. I, I would love to get the, the crypto bros and the regulators on the same episode at one point. <laughs> I just, I would just, I'd just be able to sit back. I wouldn't have to do anything. No, um, it would I'd be love great. to be there. <laughs> yeah, there's no tomato the rest. <laughs> yeah, it would be, a, be definitely a great episode. Um, but I agree. I also agree with you on, you know, the other use cases for the blockchain. I mean, for example, you know, just asking your your uh, professors and tutors for references after 20 years when it could just be a blockchain transaction or something like that you know just uh, uh, references as well there are, there are certain use cases that are just so obvious and you know I'm, I'm still surprised that academia isn't using some of these technologies a bit more but 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 that's a, a whole other discussion yeah um, just but, one thing more to add i mean just because i'm quite excited about that space it's just sort of if you get a government to issue a digital identity on the blockchain you start addressing financial inclusion. You know, you're changing societal norms. And that's what I think is most exciting about this technology, where it can fundamentally change. So some of it will be, if you like, uh, disruptive, and some of it will be evolving. And I think it's, you know, wherever it is on that spectrum of disruptive to evolving, I think this technology is about to erupt potentially. And I think that's why if you go back to that question, why did I enter the sector? I think it's fascinating. It has a huge opportunity. Um, to do that. It has to do, so talking as an ex-regulator in a regulated environment, but not in a way that stifles innovation. And that's the challenge for regulators. How do you create an environment that gives you power to take action against a firm, but doesn't hinder innovation? That's the big challenge for regulators at a jurisdictional level. Yeah. And I think some of that's already happening. Um, I recently had a two projects. I don't know if you're aware of them. Silo, uh, I think I pronounced that right. And Panlava which have been providing um, blockchain-based um, micro-loans uh, in places like Kenya and Tanzania. And um, these case studies have, have really been quite successful and studied across the kind of NGO, uh, global NGO circuit and civil society and have been uh, increasingly taken up in parts of the world like Brazil. Um, and of course they have KYC and a AML built into them, but they're also mobile they're optimized for mobile um, because most people don't have desktops uh, in, in a lot of developed economies. And those case studies have done exactly what you said. They've kind of, um, you know, brought micro loans, but, but also kind of new cooperative forms of finance to, to fishing villages in some of these coastal towns. And there's been a lot of research done on it. Um, so that's definitely something to look at if you're interested in that space. Yeah, it will do. Thank you. Um, but yeah, anyway, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure to have you on uh, the UAE Tech Podcast and look forward to meeting at JITEX in October. Thank you. It's great talking to you. Sponsor information. 
The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albaweba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albaweba Business, syndication distribution on Albaweba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albaweba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.